Okay. So, hi everyone, and welcome to uh, this edition of Sea Blue Smarts. Um, today, we're going to talk about cybersecurity, and we see this as um, a really growing topic among IT and communication service providers. Um, as you know, the situation has changed over the last couple of months, and employees working remotely, you know, coming to trusted um, advisors like their service providers to seek security advice. Um, you know, we're seeing these conversations emerge all the time. And I think sales and marketing professionals are looking for the best way to add value to their customers and to the cybersecurity conversations that are taking place. So we thought we'd invite two, two experts and subject matter experts in this space. Um, so I will let Gareth and Louise introduce themselves and, and tell us a little bit about their backgrounds. So um, Louise, over to you. Good morning. Thanks, Ola. Um, so my name is Louise Parr. Um, I've been working in marketing all my career, um, always in a technology environment. Um, I was first started really out at BlackBerry, where security was a fundamental part of the product and the success of that product range. And I guess that's where I, as, an, as a marketing professional and indeed an employee of any company, was starting to think that that was just a normal standard, set standard, and, and you know something that I didn't necessarily need to be concerned about as an employee. It sort of was embedded in the product or it was taken care of by a specialist team. And um, so I've moved around in my career, working in a variety of different organizations, both international and very small startups. And um, yeah, on this call, I'll be looking to share some examples of you know different environments and how that's impacted my perceptions on security, but also and um, how it's really a cultural piece that really needs to change and we need to see that shift happen in order for anything significant to start moving in the security space. Absolutely. And, and Gareth? Um, yes, yeah, so I, I, I've been um, protecting information in various forms for all of my career. Um, <clears throat> the last 20 years has been in uh, cybersecurity specifically. Um, and uh, I've been in and out of product marketing and product management in that time um, for probably about 10 years each. Um, so I've got you know an engineering view uh, as, as well as a go-to-market view of uh, the, the cybersecurity landscape and how it's changed at that time. Yeah. Which leads nicely into you know one of the first um, questions I wanted to, to ask, um, and, and Gareth, if we come to you first, you know, what's happening in the state of the, you know, what's the state of the nation on cybersecurity right now? And I guess particularly given how things have changed over, over the last couple of months with COVID and, and lockdown and, you know, distributed working becoming the, the norm. I think there's a couple of things that you, we have to be aware of first is, is that how, how cybersecurity has changed between, over the last five years. Um, in in the past, there was lots and lots of white noise with spammers, lots and lots of those. Um, but the real, you know, the really bad people, it was quite, it was quite limited. Um, they then created tool sets that that made startup criminals relatively easy to do. And so there's many, many more of those that that has grown over that that five years. I mean, the really interesting thing. <clears throat> is that you know when COVID nineteen happened, we in in the industry we all thought, oh, right, here's going to be an obvious target. We it's going to happen is that the bad people are going to target people, 
And, um, you know, one of the worrying things about it is that I'm getting mixed messages from from the, the industry about, you know, that kind of targeting. Sometimes people say, oh, yeah, yeah, we're getting lots of targeting. And sometimes not hearing about it at all. Mm-hmm. Now, that not hearing about it at all is the worrying bit. Um, so, so that that's the, the the first thing. The, you know, the the number of breaches actually down in the last um, year on year, and and that in itself um, is is fairly worrying because the, the that means either, you know, they're not it's not happening, which I I doubt. <laughs> um, there are a number of mega breaches, so actually we're moving moving. We're losing more data, uh, but very, very targeted on on these big, you know, uh, big events. Um, but it could be, and this is the worrying bit, is that we don't know that we're, you know, losing stuff. That is quite difficult to spot, actually. Now, in this country, we have to tell people if there's been a breach. But if we don't know about it, we can't tell anybody. Fairly obvious. Mm-hmm. And that's what worries me, is that um, I, th- I think that um, it we would be naive to think that they're not going to exploit COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's what worries me, is that, um, you know, the, the, the chances are, is that we're not spotting it. Um, and that's really, really bad place to be. Yeah. And, and, and do you think the fact now that, uh, so I guess security policies have been set up for people being in an office and now they're they're not and is that why you think maybe we're not seeing you know people don't know the breaches are are taking place because they haven't extended their security perimeters could that be i think that's certainly a possibility uh Mm. you know the, the the whole setup you know, you've got to remember that that IT is kind of built on top of itself. It doesn't, you know, you don't you don't go, oh, I'm bored with that data data center. I'll build another one. You know, you you tend to build on top of something. So, so the whole thing was set up to be within this network. Mm-hmm. Now, remote workers in the past broke that, and we used VPNs, but it it wasn't. So it became a very strange looking network. Um, and bounced out over here somewhere and you know when you had a salesperson on the road or you had me mm. from a strange place in Europe um, but uh, fundamentally it was set up for that network and and what has happened is that that network is now broken completely you know and Covid hasn't helped that um, so certainly you know VPNs have been targeted um, certainly cloud um offerings have been targeted um you know the 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 over 90 percent of attacks start with email um about 90 percent of attacks are now malwareless well i mean i don't know what the proportion between so that means there's only two possibilities uh, an application vulnerability or social engineering now i don't know what the 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 percentages are but that's basically what that's made up of so that's the majority of that um which, which which yeah so kind of suggests that um you know the the that network breaking because of covid and and when you know when it when it was set up to be behind a network and now nobody is and that and and people are not used to it like you you know you you say is is that folks just want it to work and just think it's going to 
and and I think the industry hasn't helped itself because you know we, you know, technologists, um, we we keep it all secret because it's really important and we're really clever and and actually it's something that should be shared and that's a really difficult process to go through. I, I know you know my kids are all grown up now, but they still just want it to work, yeah. you know, and expect it to just be like that. Yeah, um, I think that's the point I was going to make as well on on uh, as an employee, if you like, you know, looking at the performance of how I do my job at home. I, I'm lucky I've always actually worked at home over the last six years, so I've not really had that cultural change and, you know, found these new ways of having to connect to work struggle because it's just been something that I've done, um, albeit in different companies where they have different ways of doing things, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but there are definitely times when you think, crikey, this is painful on VPN. I'll just connect later and we've we've all done it I'm being honest and saying I have yeah. <laughs> but um, I think that's the challenge that you know is the infrastructure actually geared up I mean, and clearly it could not have been overnight the rapid um, you know rush that was all that mm -hmm. was there that was present everybody felt it obviously um, and there's absolutely no way businesses could accommodate that overnight unless they were lucky enough to already have you know a significant number of remote workers in place and majority of their applications and so on in the cloud so that everybody could obviously keep on working as they've been used to um but what i think is really different now is the because we're at home you know we're much more relaxed you know you don't have that same sense of i'm in an office and i'm a, i'm in that professional environment where i am protected and um, that doesn't mean you don't perform as well or that your productivity is down it just means that perhaps you you know you do browse on the web maybe you do click on something you know you haven't got somebody behind you who could potentially browse at your screen so you're just sort of more oh, i'm just going to take a little coffee break now and it's those kind of habits that i think that you know they're not wrong to have everybody needs breaks but it's because you're not with other people your social life is becoming more and more online so therefore the vulnerability on the network is actually increased by by that kind of definition really yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. i agree and and i think that um you know we we now share um our outlook application with our work you know maybe a, a private email address maybe a secondary one um maybe a gmail account as well because you can do that um and and that's all in within the same application mm -hmm. yeah it, it's an interesting like the, the, i think that there's two um interesting areas to explore here it, it, is one there's from an employer perspective is and an IT department, you know, the technology maybe needs to to catch up um, and, you know, look at how they support remote workers. And also from an employee perspective, um, almost do a, a re-education on what security best practice looks like from an employee perspective in the home environment and, and, and just be mindful of, of, you know, going off to, to look at other um, sites and, and, and best practice. And I guess when we, when we take a look at, you know, the service providers in this space, you know, I'd love to get your thoughts on how they can add that value to their customers, how they can best communicate with, you know, authority, but authenticity in this area because it is a, a growing, we see it as, a, as a, a growing area for lots of service providers and maybe they're catching up in, the, in terms of technical capability, but how can they position themselves um, to, to offer that, um, that value to, to their clients? I'd love to get your thoughts on those. So certainly from our perspective, what we actually have is, uh, 
we get a lot of very, they're specifically tailored by our IT department to come through to my inbox to look like they're from one of the my colleagues or from, um, you know, a, a provider that we work with. And often there'll be a very small error in either the formatting of the email address or in the link itself yeah. that what they're what they're doing is clearly trying to there well they are they're educating us to say don't click before you've actually read that email address don't click before you've considered why are they sending me an email they only actually have my mobile number why are they messaging me the relationships between you know yeah. my uh, one of our consultants and that team it's really strange that they're engaging with me if i've never met them before so trying to get you to be much more inquisitive about why have you received that message and should you really do you really need to open it uh, mm -hmm. for example because often we're just real guilty of just click and scroll click and scroll but maybe we need to be more reject reject they'll come back if it's really important and i'll hear mm -hmm. if i need to get in touch with someone um, so that you can just maintain that security, especially if you're on your personal device or on your laptop. You're, you're obviously we've been in an environment where we've been doing that for nearly for decades, um, but we're probably using it in a much more casual way when we're relaxed on the sofa on an evening with our smartphone, thinking I'm just going to go and have a quick look and see whether or not that email's come back or was that actually significant should i have deleted it you know so i think that whole behavior piece needs to be encouraged and it can only actually happen through real life application of some examples so i think it departments in particular can really start to kind of get that behavior change and and then they get the reporting on the back end of it you know this is failing everybody's clicking nobody's checking right then you know now what your behavior change needs to be for your next program and it needs to be this constant cycle we can't just have like a, a marketing campaign just drop and then you leave. You know, you've got to keep the feeding of information out there. You've got to nurture them. You've got to treat everybody really like a customer uh, within your organization, I think, and make sure that, you know, they are OK, that they understand what the objective is. Do they understand how to spot the differences and have a culture where that's absolutely OK to question? I think that's the other piece. You know, you're not expected to be an expert. We haven't all just suddenly been on all of these, you know, framework and methodology courses and <laughs> huge amount of qualifications behind us in security we can't be expected to have that um but clearly there's going to need to be this kind of mentoring and hand-holding piece and mm -hmm. um, i went on a, a webinar actually a little while ago with cisco and kevin fielder the ciso from just eat was on that and he was talking about the challenges of bringing together two different organizations the just eat brand and the other restaurant um, side of the chain it was really fascinating because one of the pieces that came out of that was about threat modeling and how actually security teams themselves can put themselves into different business units around organizations and get that almost buddy or champion within that team to tell them what's wrong with the security that they're actually trying to push out what are the challenges with it what are their team members finding that are really difficult around it um, and in some cases you know how would you go around circumnavigating this you know if it is a vpn issue for example, and it's the speed and they're finding it too difficult and it's lowering performance, then great that the team knows that they need to actually address the speed, the bandwidth and maybe change provider. Yeah. So it's much more of a collaborative approach right. rather than this siloed um, IT team that kind of comes out of the cupboard. <laughs> yes, they turn us off when we've clicked something bad. <laughs> yeah, pushes out the technology and, and runs. But I think it's, it's a great message that actually, you know, it should be about err on the slide of caution and actually feel you know confident to do that and, and it's a much better approach to adopt um as well as then a collaborative approach to ensure you know your policies are being correctly uh, not only implemented but adopted 
Yeah, uh, no, really good. And um, and Gareth, from a you know, in terms of going out to the market and to um and to potential clients, you know, I'd love to get your thoughts on again how um how a service provider or vendor can be you know can communicate out to their client base. So, you know, like Lee says, I think that it's got to be an ongoing process, you know. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the slight changes in the email address. The one that I saw, which is most most frightening, is um, if you've got an L in your email address, it can be changed from an L to capital I and it looks exactly the same. So, you know, actually not just looking for mistakes in you know URLs or or emails it's actually like you said Louis like thinking about what is it that this person is trying to achieve and should they be trying to do it and trying to embed that in so you know what we we have managed to you know embed things like um uh, getting into buildings and um locking computers away and not putting them in leaving them on the, on the back seat of the car you know when we were losing computers we've done that so this is not impossible mm -hmm. but i think that some contextual um context around uh what it is that the bad people are doing so you know you mentioned vpn vpn's been a target you know so it's not sometimes it is about the way it's been set up or sometimes uh, you know it's it's the way that it's protected or the way that's being used um but yes they have uh, during the pandemic that's been certainly been targeted um you know zoom and teams all of these things have been targeted so you know i think i, th I think that organizations first need to reassess how they're using uh, those those tunnels, those security tunnels. But also, uh, I, I think it's a an ongoing process of explaining what the bad people are doing and why they're doing it. Um, and, and you know, we it's not like we're not aware because we see on the on the news um, misinformation all the time. So we know that this stuff is going on. I think it's contextual stuff that's really important. So to understand what the, the cyber criminals are actually up to. I think the challenge is as well that nobody really gets it until a hack has happened. It's very hard to say, you know, we're going to protect your network. Here's everything that we believe that you need to, you know, plug all the gaps to protect you for the next couple of years throughout the vulnerabilities to help your business scale, blah, 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 whatever the objectives are. But you might be looking at, you know, half a million pounds investment. But when you consider what the cost would be to retrospectively fix an issue, let alone loss of customer data, brand trust, vulnerabilities in the future where everybody's potentially going to know where those vulnerabilities are and what you're patching. That you know, you, you could be looking at a considerable, you know, million pound plus um, damage. I think we've all seen in the news, as you were saying, um, around some of these challenges. And um, red car councils have been, you know, councils have been targeted. Um, red car's one of ours, and and that's one that we continue to protect. And and they had huge vulnerabilities and. You know the the the, the um, solution was put on the table to them, and it was deemed as extremely expensive. But as a consequence, it's now been in excess of, you know, two four million pounds worth of uh, damage that's been done. One that struck me most recently that I hadn't considered as a target sector for some of these criminals, which why shouldn't it be, was the Ritz Hotel. And when I think about the Ritz Hotel, I wouldn't even consider that they would need to have a security IT team to protect the enormous amount of confidential celebrity data that they have 
possibly, you know, not just phone numbers and email addresses, but maybe even bank details and home addresses. Um, and now they've been hacked. You think, how are they going to rebuild that trust with their only target market? You know, not everyone can afford to spend £10,000 a night on a luxury suite in the middle of London. So there's a huge amount that needs to be considered, I think, from the brand and the trust and the loyalty perspective to have those customers come back once some of these vulnerabilities have taken place. And it needs to be perceived as a huge business issue, not just an IT problem that needs to be fixed. So when you talk to, you know, the the, the CISO, they, I, well, you know, there's various numbers, but most CISOs will expect to have a, a breach, an attack and a breach of some sort in the next 18 months. About half of them expect it within the next 12 months. And that's just standard research. But I bet you the business doesn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's taking security out of the, the IT department and, and, and making it that that business level topic for, for discussion. Actually, it? Yeah, it's raising the, the, the CISO position to um, a board level. And yeah, I went through a, um, a process a couple of years ago of, of trying to do that. And there, there is a will, but making that change is, is, is really difficult. And, and at the moment, you know, I wouldn't be a CISO if you paid me, which you'd have to, but um, you know, I wouldn't because uh, it's a, you're not hiding to nothing yeah. because you're, you're employed to stop that, that thing happening. And yet it's inevitable. It's going to happen. So some of this is about, you know, Louise, you mentioned the, the, the risk. It's, some of it's about cleanup too is how do you retain that and there's been breaches all around the world massive ones you know home depot um had a massive one a few years back and it's that process of when do you announce what do you tell people how much do you tell them um and quite often organizations don't have a plan in place to say if we do lose Mr. and Mrs. X's information. What do we do? Uh, and uh, I've got an example actually. There's a um, an organisation I know pretty well who who had a mini mini breach, um, and they discovered it really quickly. But it took them five times longer to make a decision about what to do than it was to discover the breach in the first place. <clears throat> so so actually, if you've got a plan in place, if this happens, then we do this 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 this. And this then that that actually quite a you know um a, a good process to go through and it's not just about protection it's about recovery afterwards yeah it's a really important point isn't it because if, if a breach is inevitable then actually what will will differentiate you as a, a brand and as a business is how you respond to that and having that rapid response and a remediation plan in place and, and, and you're right, I, yeah, I wonder how many companies, big and small, think about that or, you know, m maybe think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm buying an insurance policy, therefore it's not going to happen. And, and you know, don't actually have that plan and, and react quickly and, and, and suffer a more devastating impact as a as a result. Yeah, so the insurance side of it is um, is interesting because, uh, you know, it's uh, again, it's a good thing to do, um, but the insurance companies are in this as a business so they're in this to make money um, and if there are too many breaches then it's going to it's going to fail 
I do know of one uh, example which has to remain nameless where the, the, the insurance amount that they were paid out paid for the initial letter to go out to the customers to say, sorry, we've had a breach. And that was it, they ran out. So then it was down to them. Uh, and because it's a very big organisation, they, they could pull themselves out of it. But, you know, with smaller, maybe not so much. Okay. So, and, you know, so I, I think that it, it would be good for organisations to be able to say to the customer, you know, th this is the scenario, this is what the world looks like. You know, we are no different from anybody else because you, you don't want them switching. But to say, you know, if something happens, these are the steps that we're taking to remediate because you know, I don't know about you, but my service provider, I have absolutely no idea what would happen next. None. So you know, do I have any faith? No, not really. <laughs> I think though on the flip side, the the service providers in, in any environment would have, um, you know, allocated budget, would have ongoing training, would have an aspiration to have qualifications of certain degrees and certain levels to make sure that they, you know, have that niche in the marketplace, for example. But also they've got the benefit of working across a variety of different environments and seeing and feeling all of the impacts of, of these challenges that we're talking about. So I think from a customer perspective, it's beneficial to use the service providers to outsource a lot of these, um, these challenges so that they're sort of being babysat whilst they can look to embed that culture within their organization they can't be expected to bring in now highly trained skilled security experts when they don't really know what it is necessarily that they need to focus on where their vulnerabilities are and so on and that exercise itself could take a significant period by which time you know you're obviously in a in a predicament so i think it's the training and the the complexity of different environments and giving those examples as well across and feeding that information back into those organisations where the service providers can can obviously really help. Yeah, I think that that scenario that that we see service providers or role we see service providers definitely trying to to play more and more. They they do have a trusted relationship with many um, with their clients and and yeah, clients who who don't know how, don't have the resource or, you know, don't know where to turn, are, are turning back into their service providers to, you know, to, to seek that advice. And, you know, I, I would like, to, uh, you know, to, to get your thoughts, Louise, in terms of, you know, what, like, do you think that as a, as a you know, a sales and marketing, um, you know, collective, that, that we're, we're able to have those conversations with, with our clients or or do we need to to upskill and up level ourselves to to have those quality conversations provide that trusted advice to to the clients who are desperately seeking it yeah i think it's a really challenging area because um when it comes to security um and a potential breach in your organization naturally marketing will want to pull together a nurture and loyalty message to mm. ensure and reassure that those customers are protected and provide that ongoing communication and there should be a communication plan in place already so that this isn't just a reactive piece of communications mm -hmm. given a bad example however what i see and what i've noticed is security is very much straight up to ceo c-suite level for approval in terms of what kind of communications would go out in in such an instance as you'd as you'd expect mm -hmm. and 
very often it's a case of let's let's not overreg it, let's not let's not shout about it, you know, because there's that worry that the yeah. more you talk about it, the more you're highlighting an issue that isn't necessarily as serious as someone may think it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, on the on the other side of the coin, in terms of my role and what I do and how that's changing. Email marketing could be pretty much dead, I think, within the next couple of years. I mean, if we can get any emails out and any kind of click-through rate at all at the moment, given the security mm-hmm. walls that are going up around everyone at the moment, you know, I'm, I'm really interested to see how that's going to work. So I can only see social media becoming more and more prolific from a communication yeah. standpoint. Mm-hmm. And that gives us the ability to be more reactive, but equally then that comes with its own issues in terms of, mm-hmm what we should say, when we should say it, and is that really the, the right platform? Um, so it's a challenging one. I don't think we can shield customers. I don't think that customers should expect at all that there are ever any risk from mm-hmm. being with a, secure, a, a service provider of any sort. But I do think that, you know, equally, it's the whole supply chain. It's not just one organisation. And that entire chain, I think every organization has a responsibility to make sure that everyone they work with has got security measures in place. So from that perspective, what this, do you tell a customer? That's a very good point, actually, because we've just seen a spike in supply chain attacks. Um, and anybody like to guess how many um, suppliers that Vo- uh, Volkswagen have got? Oof. Thousands? Thousands, I would say. Yeah, 40,000. Oh, wow. Plus, apparently. Um, I read somewhere, which I can't remember now. But um, yeah, so so supply chain, it's, um, you know, the attacks, not necessarily from the bottom up, which is what one would would expect, um, but it can be from top down, but it can be from the middle outwards as well. And if you've got a chain of 40,000 or a chain of anything, sometimes they can, you know, with, with some of these big organisations, they can they can reach out to, to thousands, as we just said. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's a, a, a massive danger. And it's something that we've seen a resurgence of um, in, the, in the last months or so. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, which I guess, and I know Louise, and um, we spoke before, and, and you had a question that I'm going to pose um, to Gareth. I know you were keen to understand, like, you know, how can businesses understand really where, where they are on, on that kind of, you know, security maturity continuum, you know, I'd love to get your thoughts, Gareth, on that. So, so this is a really, really difficult thing to do because it's it's that old adage about you really don't know what you don't know until you 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 don't know it and uh, the more you know the more you realize you don't um so the really sophisticated and and it's only the really really big organizations that they tend to be financial services that are, are sophisticated enough um and then when you move further down the stack then most people think yeah i've got this sorted um where whereas you know if you're realistic about this you you you've never got it sorted you're always that's one of the problems with cybersecurity is if <clears throat> you're always on the back foot because the bad people are creating the thing that you're trying to stop so you're always they're always trying to find new ways of doing it and you're always finding new ways to stop them mm-hmm. so that i mean that's the, the the first thing the second one i mean there are some tools out there that you can use to work out where you are and how good you are um, but uh, they are going to push you towards 
come and buy lots of these things, um, I would imagine. But um, you can you can get get those tools online and go through those. Um, the only real ways uh, of, of doing it is getting either you know penetration testing or red team assessment or purple teaming. Um, there is a new technology that's come out in the last year probably, um, which is BAS, B-A-S, which is breach attack simulation. Um, and what they do is uh, actually continuously you know, fire attacks specifically targeted at a particular industry or a particular type of attack. So it would it might depend on the on the the type of um, you know similar cyber criminal who predominantly finances financial services or predominantly you know whoever um, and it fires at, at, at that uh, organization to work out um, where they have breaches that can be quite expensive. Um, when you get further down, you know, the stack in terms of affordability, vulnerability assessments are, are probably the best way of doing it. Um, but the other the other thing that you can do is you, you know, if you, you know, the national um, uh, N, no, NCSC, National Cyber, whatever it is, um, they do this, the Cyber Essentials Plus, which is um, the, the program, which is the easiest to get to uh, UK based. Um, and then there's the CISSP and um, CRI, CRISC uh, type certifications, which um, again, you know, you just put certifications UK, cybersecurity certifications UK in your browser and you can find them. Um, but yes, I would say the Essentials Plus is probably the, the, the best place to start, but, but a compromise assessment or um, those kind of offerings um, if you can find one that's like a, a fixed price, if you're, you know, a smaller organisation, that will that will do it. Where it's a, it's not good to do a one-off. You should really do them continuously. In a perfect world, you do, you do red teaming, you do, you know, bass attacks, you do uh, compromise assessments, you do, you know, um, cyber transformation, you do cyber hygiene, you do the whole kabang if you want to, but it's going to cost you. So, you know, those are the ones you can. Uh, pre predominantly ones that you should aim for. Okay. I think there's also a challenge. I don't know if you both agree that if I were in a might just be my the way I <laughs> if I were in a security role and I had the opportunity to have a full vulnerability assessment done on the network, I would be concerned about that information being out there. So it's kind of this irony of I need to know what the state of play is and where the gaps are and what what my project needs to be for the next three to ten years however my concern would be who would be privy to that information once that analysis had actually happened and i can see that becoming you know so it's wonderful. quite interesting to consider because you want to so, help so, but equally so First of all, um, uh, the security companies that I've worked for um, are all a little bit James Bond about this, okay. um, where uh, the consultative side of the business um, is really very conscious about uh, the confidentiality of, of their their customers. Um, that, that's you know the the the, the first thing. Um, and the second thing is that a lot of <clears throat> that mid-market um, CISO 
are not now announcing who they're using for their email security, their network security, their endpoint security, their etc. So they're keeping keeping that quiet. Um, it is quite easy for cyber criminals to work out what um, what applications you've got running um, that are public. Um, it, it's a, it's a fairly simple ping to work out what you've got. Um, you, you can work out who's got Office 365 from from your laptop. Um, it's a fairly simple code to do it. So so those things that are open, it's it's fairly straightforward for them to to find out. So the other thing that that you know, as just as a, an aside, is I would make sure that your applications are secure and that, that the um, you're up to date with them. That's a complete yeah. aside. Sorry, did that didn't answer the question? I went off suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is it is one of those you know topics that we could literally talk for for hours about um but i would just say like the things i've i've taken away from today is you know the threat landscape it hasn't stopped you know the fact that we may be seeing a decline in, in breaches is actually more worrying than anything else so attacks are likely still happening we just don't know about it um it departments now need to look at what how they adapt their security to reflect that people are now remote working accessing applications you know non-work applications but combine that with really good employee education programs um, and it becomes a collaborative approach to re-educate on, 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 you know, best practice from an employee perspective. Um, and I think, you know, testing and test, test and test again, um, you know, and, and, and it sounds like there's a, there's a range of, of tests available and, you know, it, it's an ongoing process to make sure you've got the best security policies that, that you can. I mean, jump in if, if I missed anything else, but they, they were some big takeaways. Um, for me. Yeah, yeah, I think it is like <clears throat> like Louise said. I think it is about training. Um, I have gone in the last twenty years. I have gone through uh, the process of, of training, you know, marketing teams, but also legal teams, finance teams, um, you know, the yeah. recruit yeah. teams. All, you name yeah, it. I did session. I did sessions at, um, at Semantic with um, the all the senior PAs. Mm -hmm. So I think everybody needs to be included in this, and it's not just the you know the obviously you know the end users who you know log into the the databases or email, but it's everybody else as well. Mm -hmm. It's a yeah, complete yeah. culture. A complete inclusive process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I would say thank you so much to both of you for uh, for your time. It's been a really really enlightening discussion, and uh, and thank you very much. Andy. Thank you. Nice to see you. <laughs>